welcome everyone. A little dicey out there this morning. Uh, remember, in the case of emergencies and or our cancellations, we will try to get all that information out to you by email and or our normal uh, notification is through WJTL. So uh, just as a reminder in case. And also, uh, for those that don't remember, we are now live streaming. You know, so if you cannot, and to those that are joining us live stream, welcome. Uh, that's another option in this time of, let's say, uncertainty. So uh, we're trying to give you as many options as we possibly can. Uh, take a moment and look at your uh, rear of your bulletin for some announcements and important activities here in the life of the church that we want to bring to your attention. Uh, our next family ministry, uh, and again, that's for classes five through high school. That will be tonight beginning at six to eight o'clock. So again, family ministry, six to eight o'clock tonight. Our next opportunity to work at the food bank will be this Wednesday. Please let me know if you can join me. Again, if you can, it'd be from 1.30 to 3.30. Uh, we're one of 14 churches out here in this part of the county that take care of those that are less fortunate. So if you can't do or help us, uh, we would ask you next time you go to the supermarket, pick up a jar of peanut butter and a can of soup and bring it, and we'll make sure that those folks you know, receive it. But if you're free, let me know. We'll put you to work on Wednesday. Uh, again, just a reminder, 9.15, we have prayer downstairs. Uh, we ask you to join us. And also our next uh, big uh, annual business meeting is on January 31st. Uh, January 31st, all the members should have received in their mailboxes a copy of the 2021 budgets as well as some leadership proposed changes that we have. Uh, we ask again all the members since we are uh, such that the congregation approves and affirms, we would ask you to pray about these changes as well as uh, seek out other members on the leadership team if you have any questions on the budget or the changes in leadership. Uh, again, it's an open meeting. That means that any visitors are more than welcome to stay. Uh, we have uh, copies of the budget as well as the leadership changes on the information table. The only thing is you will be not allowed to do any of the voting, but we are very open in our uh, 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 conducting of our business here. I think those are all the announcements that we have right now. Would you please stand uh, for worship? Pastor Sam will lead us in worship. Good morning. Our call to worship is Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. 
Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for this day and for this opportunity that we have to come uh, to worship as your people. Lord, we recognize that, that worship is, is simply uh, much more than, than what we sing or, or affirm in a given service. But Lord, this type of worship is vital for our health as a church. And so it is with great joy that we have gathered together this day to sing your praises, to honor you, Lord, with our lips and our hearts and our minds. And Lord, we pray that when we leave from this place, we will honor you uh, with our whole life. Uh, Lord, we pray that your spirit would be at work among us this day. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have to, to gather for worship. And we ask, Lord, that your spirit would move mightily among us as we come hungering and thirsting for you. Uh, may we be open and willing vessels for all that you would do in our lives this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. Praise the Lord, His mercy is born. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is born. Praise the Lord, his mercy is born. Stronger than darkness new every morn our sins they are many his mercy is born what patience would wait as we constantly roam what father so tender is calling us home he welcomes the weakest the vilest the poor sins they are many his mercy is more praise the lord his mercy is more stronger than darkness new every morn our sins they are many his mercy is more Riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was a payment, his life was a cost. We stood in a debt we could never afford. Our 
sins they are many his mercy is more praise the lord his mercy is more stronger than darkness new every morn our sins they are many his mercy is more praise the Mercy is more stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is Jesus 
couple of items for prayer uh, for you to pray with me about this morning, but also uh, we ask that you continue to pray for these um, requests during the week as well. Uh, first of all, uh, Becky Dietrich informed me this morning that uh, Craig's mother passed away uh, early this morning, and so we ask that you'd be in prayer for Craig and Becky and the extended family there. There are uh, many needs there, and uh, this would be a great opportunity, we pray, in the lives of, uh, of many in the family to have their eyes open to the, uh, the truth of the gospel, uh, that the Holy Spirit would bring comfort uh, to those who believe, and also to the unbelievers as well, that they would uh, see Christ and the gift of salvation that he offers clearly and would respond in faith. Also, we've... Uh, had uh, Linnell Schwarren's uh, aunt on our prayer list for a while, uh, for a couple of weeks now. She'll actually be having surgery on Tuesday, and so uh, Tim and Linnell ask that we be in prayer uh, for that. And also, please uh, pray also for Linnell herself. She's not feeling well. She actually went back home uh, this morning, and just pray that uh, whatever's going on there, that God would bring about a resolution and for her healing. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you again for this day and for this opportunity that we have as your children to gather together uh, in worship. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you for each person that you have uh, brought here this morning in your uh, sovereign goodness, Lord, that they would worship here with us uh, in person. And Lord, we also would pray for those who are uh, watching the live stream as well, Lord, that this would indeed be a time of us drawing near to you in faith. Uh, Lord, that we would recognize that the great calling in our lives, uh, uh, once we our eyes are open to the truth of the gospel, is to worship you wholeheartedly uh, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So would you help us, Lord, to, to love you and worship you in this way? Uh, Lord, it is with a, a great weight and sorrow, Lord, that we pray for the Dietrich family this morning, asking, uh, Lord, for your spirit's work in their lives. Lord, we pray for Craig and, and Becky and the children and, and other family members as they grieve at this time, Lord. Uh, Lord, that the believers would grieve with, with the help of your spirit, 
uh, not as those without hope, uh, but Lord, reminding of the eternal comfort they have in you. And Lord, we pray for a softening for those in the family that may not know you. Uh, Lord, that uh, through this uh, time of, of sorrow, uh, Lord, that they would, uh, their eyes would be open to the great joy that is found through faith in Christ our Lord. Lord, we pray for, for comfort and guidance and for healing for the family. And, and Lord, that ultimately you would redeem this uh, sorrow and the tragedy in their lives uh, for their good and for your glory. Lord Jesus, you, uh, as it tells us in the book of Isaiah, were a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. And Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, as this family grieves, they, they would recognize that there was one who suffered grief and sorrow uh, even more greatly, that their sins would be redeemed. So we pray that you would do this work in their lives. In Jesus' name. And Lord, we would continue also to pray for Linnell's aunt as she has surgery coming up on Tuesday. Lord, we pray, uh, Lord, for every aspect of this procedure, Lord, that your hand would be upon it. Uh, Lord, we pray that if it be your will, that you would uh, use this to, to bring about a greater healing in her life. Uh, Lord, we pray also for her faith, that you would continue to strengthen it. Uh, Lord, that she would lean heavily upon you during this time of uh, physical suffering and uh, uncertainty. Uh, Lord, that you would teach her what it means to rest on the certainty that is ours through Christ our Lord. And Lord, we pray for our sister Linnell today also, that as uh, uh, she is home, Lord, that you would strengthen her body. Uh, Lord, uh, all the things that are going on there, Lord, we pray that you would bring about a resolution. Lord, we pray also that you would uh, even now just uh, give her great joy in you and in your word and as uh, Tim and the kids go back to care for her following the service, Lord. I, I pray that uh, they would be a great blessing to her during this time when she is not feeling her best. Uh, Lord, we, uh, as we continue in worship, would pray also for uh, our children and, and teachers as they are going to be uh, entering into the, to the, the children's ministry uh, later this morning. Uh, Lord, we pray for open hearts and minds to the truth. Lord, we pray for a great joy for the teachers as they have the, the privilege of sharing eternal truths with young hearts and minds, uh, many of whom uh, already know you and love you and, and, and want to know what it means to, to be faithful to you. And so, Lord, we pray that um, as the learning and the instruction goes on there in the classrooms, Lord, that your spirit would move mightily in young hearts and minds. And Lord, I pray that for those who will be in the sanctuary as well. Uh, Lord, we have a beautiful picture from your word today of, uh, of your great grace and mercy. And Lord, I, I pray that each one of us, as a result of that time, uh, uh, listening to the sermon and your word explained, Lord, uh, each one of us would grow in our love for you. Uh, Lord, we pray for any unbelievers among us this morning. Uh, Lord, that today would be the day that you open their hearts and minds to the truth. Uh, Lord, that you would awaken faith in their lives. And Lord, that they would respond to the gift of salvation that is available uh, through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, 
grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Sin and despair like the sea waves cold, threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than The stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse with. morning we continue our study of the gospel of john and today we are in john chapter 4 and we'll be focusing on verses 15 through 26 now we are picking up if you were not here with us last week and did not see uh, the recording online then uh, we're picking up in the middle of jesus encounter with the uh, samaritan woman uh, last week Jesus introduced her to the concept of living water, and much like Nicodemus before her, 
Uh, she could only think about what he was saying in natural terms rather than the spiritual emphasis that Jesus actually uh, was focusing on. So I will read these verses and we will dive in. John chapter 4, beginning at verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you again so much for this day and for the opportunity that we have to gather as your church for worship. Lord, I pray for your help in this time when your word is proclaimed, uh, for the help of your spirit in granting understanding to the minds of those who hear, in, in helping me to speak clearly. Lord, that there would be no roadblocks set before the people to the truth, but Lord, that we would hear, and, and Lord, where we need to be convicted, that we would be convicted. Lord, where we need your comfort, that you would bring that comfort. And Lord, where we need to be encouraged, that you would bring that as well. Lord, that through the preaching of your word, your church would be strengthened and your name glorified forevermore. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin by a quote from Donald Whitney. Worship often includes words and actions, but it goes beyond that to the focus of the mind and heart. Worship is the God-centered focus and response of the inner man. It is being preoccupied with God. 
So no matter what you are saying or singing, singing or doing at any moment, you are worshiping God only, worshiping God only, when you are focused on Him and thinking of Him. Now, worship is something we talk about, and, and it's often something that we simply think about in terms of, of what is going on on a Sunday morning. But I hope through how the, I have prayed today and, and in other, and the songs that we've sung so far, that, that perhaps you're, you're getting a, a bigger picture of your understanding of worship. Worship certainly involves singing praise to God. But it is not only singing praise to God. Worship truly is our orientation towards God. All of our lives should be an act of worship. And, and Jesus, in speaking today to the Samaritan woman about worship, gives us a, a, a sense of what this worship is about. Aha. I got it now, Devin. Thank you. <laughs> you know, there's a 10% rule. You have to be 10% smarter than the technology that you are working with. And off means off, and on, on means on. And so, yep. But thanks, Gavin. I appreciate your help, buddy. Put simply, we need to recapture a biblical understanding of worship. And, and that is my hope today that as we look at this incredible encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, that, that not only will we ha have a great sense of, uh, of the grace and mercy of God as Jesus shows mercy and kindness to this woman who society would say was completely undeserving, we, we certainly need to be in awe of that. We, we, we need to be excited by that. We need to be encouraged by it. Because, brothers and sisters, we are no different than the Samaritan woman, although our sins may look different. But, but, but that recognizing that reality, God's grace, God's mercy, God's kindness towards sinners, would lead us to worship, would increase our worship, not just that we would sing songs with gusto, oh, we need to, and you do. One of the greatest things about, for me, about being on stage during the, the worship time is, is when I can hear you singing, overpowering everything else. It's a glorious sound. We're singing with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But worship, brothers and sisters, is living that way. And I pray this morning, my, my prayer for us as a, as a congregation is that as we leave this place, that you will leave here thinking differently about what comes next. Because honestly, isn't that how we do life? We, we tend to look at the things that are going on, the things that we have to do, and we make our lists. If I ever lose this, I will panic because this contains my lists. It's how I know what I'm supposed to do during the day and the next day and what lies ahead so hopefully I don't miss appointments and phone calls and meetings and other things that need to be to done. And it's very tempting as we, as I look at that list to just think about the next thing to do, to, to, to get done, to check off. 
But when we look at our responsibilities as our lives, where we need to be simply through that lens, and we fail to see how we can glorify and honor God in all of those things that we're to do, then we're missing out on an aspect of worship that must be evident in our lives. And so my prayer, brothers and sisters, is that we won't just think about what's coming next. But as we are in the moment, that we would recognize that we have the opportunity to bring glory to God no matter what task we are engaged in, as long as it's not sinful. And that we would recognize that and that we would rise to the occasion that as I do this, whatever this may be, that I want God to be honored in my attitude and my effort and in my thoughts about him in that moment. That, that's a worship that transcends a service. This matters. We're going to come back to this at, at, at the end this morning. Our worship together matters. It is commanded by God for our good as his church. But, but worship does not end when Michael plays the last chord on the last song or when I read the benediction. The worship service comes to an end, but our lives of worship go on. And so this morning we're going to focus from this great passage on worship, true worship, the only proper response to God's goodness. I, I want to tackle this under three main points. First of all, true worshipers are humbled by their sin. We cannot truly worship God if we are not humbled by the grace and mercy that he has shown us. And part of that is recognizing that we desperately need God's grace and mercy, right? Secondly, we're going to see that true worshipers delight in God's design for his people. And then finally, we're going to see that true worship flows from renewed hearts and minds. Those have, who have seen God in his glory have responded in faith to the gospel. That is the gateway to becoming a true worshiper of God. So let's look at point one. True worshipers are humbled by their sin. All right, Gavin, hook me up, buddy. Thank you. True worshipers are humbled by their sin. It will get better, I promise. Verses 15 through 18. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, we saw last week in verses 7 through 14 that as Jesus meets the, the, the Samaritan woman and begins to speak to her about living water, she's confused. In verses 13 and 14, he makes this incredible claim. Everyone who drinks of this water, talking about the water from Jacob's well, the setting where they were, 
will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And we see by the woman's response in verse 15 that like Nicodemus in chapter 3, the Samaritan woman continues to think in natural terms instead of supernatural. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, remember, from the moment Jesus first spoke to her where he requested that she give him a drink, this has been a strange occurrence for her. For a Jewish man to speak publicly to a Samaritan woman was scandalous. Now here he's offering something greater than even the patriarch Jacob had given through his well, living water. Living water, she thinks, never thirst again. No more coming here to the well under the scrutiny and the judgment of her neighbors. I'm sure this sounded like a great option for her. Now, obviously, we know that Jesus is talking about something much greater than literal water. We learned last week that the living water that Jesus speaks of is, is eternal life, which is brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit. The woman asks Jesus for this living water, and Jesus responds rather unexpectedly. I don't know about you, but as I read that, she requests the water, and, and Jesus tells her to get her husband. Well, what's You've been talking to her all along. Well, what's this about the husband? But the woman's response, I have no husband, probably was her way of trying to skate past the deeper issue. And Jesus' next words to the Samaritan woman undoubtedly blew her away. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And again, her statement was a true statement, but it was very incomplete, was it not? She knew how many husbands she had. She knew that she was living in sin, but she did not want to go any deeper. But Jesus obviously does. He exposes the whole truth about her. Why? Isn't that the question? Why, why did Jesus even go down this road? And I think the answer is both obvious and simple. How can we respond in desperate faith to the offer of eternal life that Jesus has for us until we see how desperate and dire our circumstances truly are? Brothers and sisters, proud People do not bow before the Lord in faith. Those who have been humbled by the truth of their guilt before God do. And so this woman in this back and forth, from the time that Jesus asked for the drink up to this point, some of that I'm sure was, seemed like playful banter to her. But Jesus turns up the heat by speaking to her about something that, to her mind, he should have no knowledge of in exposing her sin. 
We cannot become worshipers of God until our sins are first dealt with in Christ. The, the one who makes the way for the new birth. The one who makes it possible for us to receive the living water that, that truly and eternally satisfies our weary souls. We can make no mistake, brothers and sisters, the, Samaritan's woman's, the Samaritan woman's situation was serious. Five husbands. We, we aren't told whether or not she was a widow or a divorcee, but the adultery, the adultery is clear nonetheless. In fact, under the, the rabbinic tradition, marriages four and five were illegitimate for her. Rabbinic tradition only allowed for three marriages for someone. <laughs> Jesus continues, her current partner was not her husband at all. And there are no provisions in tradition or Jewish law for living together. They had no such thing as what we would call a common law marriage. So she was guilty. There was no way she could justify her current situation. And Jesus deals gently yet honestly with the woman in her sin, yet exposing it. And in exposing it, Jesus reveals how thirsty, how needy this woman truly is for the gift that he has to offer. Now, I ended last week by asking if you are thirsty. Remember that? And if you are thirsty, from where are you drinking to be satisfied? Some of us are, are so comfortable in our sin that we don't see how desperately needy we truly are. You, you aren't truly a Christian. You aren't truly a worshiper of God because you haven't been humbled by God to the point where you respond in faith to the gospel. That's, that's where you are if you are comfortable in your sin. Those who truly worship God are those who have been truly humbled by him. Are you humble before God? That is the great question this morning because we cannot get to points two and three if we are not, first of all, completely and utterly convinced in our own hearts and minds, number one, uh, of the fact that there was nothing good about us that, that, that would cause God to look and say, yeah, I, I'm going to save that one and that one because they have something to offer the kingdom. No, it was an act of his divine and undeserved mercy and grace that, 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 that God sent his son to die to redeem us. We were not lovely. He chose to love us. And so we must be humbled by that reality. We recognize that, that, that in and of myself, I have nothing to offer God that would cause God to want to save me. It has to be his divine choice. But he chose to. And because he chose to, that, that should cause within me the, the, the desire to want to honor him and worship him with all my life, right? If 
you lost your mind and wandered out into the, to, to the really clean Susquehanna River for a swim and, and you got caught up in, in the rip current that, that runs down the middle of that river and you're being swept away and somebody comes out in a boat and, and just as you're about to take your, your, your last gasp before you swallow that water and you enter into eternity, someone comes and they pluck you out of that situation you're not, you're not going to be ho-hum about your rescuer, are you? When you've stared death in the face and someone has plucked you out of it, there is going to be a gratitude, a lifelong gratitude for that person or towards that person, right? Well, I would hope so. I would hope so. Well, brothers and sisters, we, because of our guilt before God, we're staring down the barrel of His wrath, and we deserved it. And He acted when we could not act to save ourselves, through sending His Son. And so we should be humble before Him, recognizing all that He has done to redeem us. If we cannot start there, then we cannot truly become worshipers of God. So those who truly worship God are those who have been humbled by Him. Secondly, we see that true worshipers delight in God's design for His people. Oh, thank you. Verses 19 through 22. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, it almost seems like the woman is changing the subject here, does it not? Wow, you knew this about me. Hey, what about this, this squabble that the Jews and the Samaritans have about where it is we're supposed to worship? And, and, and maybe she is changing the subject. We certainly don't like to, to, to be confronted in our sin, do we? But... If we keep in mind what we learned last week about the animosity that existed between the Jews and the, and the Samaritans, it, it could very well be that this is a sincere question asked by someone who really wanted an age-old conflict in her mind to be resolved and between the people. Now we learned last week that there were a number of reasons for the hatred that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans, and, and a major disagreement was religious in nature. They, they disagreed over which books uh, of what we would call the Old Testament were actually the Word of God, that were authoritative. The, the, the Samaritans believed only the first five books, the ones that we would call the, the Pentateuch or the books of Moses, were authoritative, while the Jews included the entirety of the Old Testament. That was a, a pretty big point of contention between the, the two people groups. And we see from this passage that the Jews and the Samaritans also disagreed on where the people of God were supposed to gather for worship. 
And these disputes shaped the religious identity of the Samaritan woman. So she turns to Jesus for answers. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, it was clear to her from her, his knowledge of her circumstances that Jesus wasn't just some ordinary guy. In verse 20, she asked one of the issues that had divided not just the Jews and the Samaritans, but an issue that she would see as something that would divide herself from Jesus, who just had exposed her in her sin. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you, you people, you Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, this question is, is directly linked to their divergent uh, views of, of, of both Scripture and what it meant to worship God. Now, a little background. Uh, uh, around 400 B.C., the Samaritans built a temple on Mount Gerizim, where they were, which overlooked the place where Abraham built his altar to the Lord in the land that would become the Promised Land, the land that would become Israel. Also, it was on Mount Gerizim where, where the Hebrews were, were told to stand and recount the blessings of God in bringing them into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. So they, they had a reason for why Mount Gerizim was so important to them. The Samaritans weren't just looking around and saying, you know what, we can't go to Jerusalem to worship where those icky Jews are, so, so let's find our own place. No, they, they had a reason. There was a history behind Mount Gerizim. But we know that, that the Jews also had a reason for why they worshipped in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place where King David sought to build the temple. It was the place where his son Solomon actually did build it. And, and the temple was central to, to life and worship in, in Judah and Jerusalem. Just as the tabernacle had been before. It was in the, the holy of holies within the temple that the presence of God came down when Solomon dedicated the temple. So obviously, thought the Jews, Jerusalem must be the place where the people of God are called to worship. You can see why this would be a divisive issue. If, if both people groups only believed that there was only one place that you could worship, one place where the people would go and, and gather as the people of God to, to, to offer sacrifice and, and to be represented by the high priest before God, then, then, then they can't both be right. Right? Of course not. So whether or not she was trying to move the focus from herself or not, the, the, the Samaritan woman wanted this dilemma solved. Were the Jews or are the Samaritans right? That's the, that's the underlying question. And in verse 21, Jesus answers. He says, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Let me translate. Lady, you're, you're, you're focusing on the wrong things. She was asking who's right, Jews or Samaritans, when ultimately she should have been asking, who is right in front of me? Who is it that knows everything that I've ever done? Who is it that, that, that's offering me this living water? 
And that's not to, to, to say that the temple was unimportant, but this lady had bigger problems, as we have seen already. Jesus continues in verse 22, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now remember, the, the Samaritans rejected the majority of the Old Testament. There, there was much that they did not know as a result of this. And the Jews were right in this regard, even though they themselves failed to, to regard or understand much of what they read as it related to the coming Messiah. We see this in Jesus' life and ministry. The Samaritans were outside the flow of God's direct revelation of himself. That's, that's a way to think of it. As he's revealed himself in his word, that is. And in, in some ways, this led to their religion being different altogether. Now, they, they started at the same place, the first five books. But, but think about how much there is to learn about God and his purposes and his work and the history of their people throughout the Old Testament that's not covered in the Pentateuch. It's a lot. It's a whole lot. And so as a result, they, they kind of were left to fill in the blanks, if you will, and that led to, to, to some problematic theology and practice among the Samaritans. It became a different religion because of this. And honestly, don't we see the same thing in much of evangelicalism today? Christian pastors and teachers and Everyday believers are avoiding certain aspects of what the Bible teaches in order to make Christianity more acceptable. Or even equally damning is the approach of, of, of cherry-picking certain verses to, to give the impression that, that, that God exists to meet all of our physical desires. It's idolatry brothers and sisters. It was idolatry for the Samaritans where they departed from the truth of, uh, of God's word and it is idolatry today when we take passages out of context and, and try to apply them in ways that, that, that clearly do not fit within the whole counsel of God's word. Get me wrong, God does bless and move and work in our lives, but, but his top pri priority is not our personal comfort. His top priority is that he is honored and glorified by our whole lives. Our holiness is a greater priority in the eyes of God than our comfort, and this is because he loves us. Don't fall into the idolatry that flows from contemporary evangelicalism, brothers and sisters. You need to be a man or woman of the Word of God. Devotionals and things like that can be helpful, but if your primary source of food is a spiritual food, is, 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 is eating what other people have regurgitated onto a page, you, you certainly wouldn't do that with the pizza that you're going to go have after church today, are you? You're not going to have junior chew it up and spit it out so you can take it in right that's disgusting it's unhealthy it's 
Spiritually speaking, we need to sit before the feast that is God's Word. Certainly, we look to other places for help and understanding and insight, but we must go here first. This must be the stream from which you drink, the feast from which you eat. And that is how we sniff out the counterfeits that infiltrate the church today, brothers and sisters. It's not simply the pastor and the elder's responsibility to, to, to call you out and warn you, although it is our responsibility, but it's not just ours. We are all accountable before God with how we work out the salvation that we have been given through Christ our Lord. So do not be a Christian idolater. It is just as ugly in God's sight as a pagan one. It's a sin that must be repented of. In the end, the, 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 the Samaritans worshipped, in the words of Jesus, what they did not know. They used some of the same phrases that the Jews used. They even believed some of the truths that the, the, that the Jews believed. But ultimately, their worship was in ignorance. The, the Jews, on the other hand, had the complete Old Testament, which gave a fuller picture of the coming Messiah, and, and they traced, and it traced God's work among His people more fully. Not only that, within the Old Testament, you can see God's heart for the Gentile nations and His extending grace and mercy to individuals and even nations at times. Add to all this the, the, the fact that the Messiah was Jewish, and, and Jesus is exactly right. Salvation is from the, the Jews. The, the Samaritans were missing out on the fullness of God's revelation of Himself up to that point. And Jesus' point is clear. It's not about location, where you worship, but more importantly, about truly knowing God. Those who know Him delight themselves in His way. Which leads to the next point. True worship flows from renewed hearts and minds. Verses 23 and 24. Jesus continues, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And verse 23 really is the game changer for the Samaritan woman. The, the, the Jews and Samaritans disagreed on much particularly in this case, the, the location of where the temple should be. But in verse 23, Jesus drops the bomb on her. The hour is coming and is now here. I mentioned before in my paraphrase, woman, you're thinking about the wrong things. You're, you're asking the wrong question. And here we see why. There's a new day that has dawned, woman. 
The Messiah is here. The promises of God are being fulfilled. The time of the earthly priesthood going before God on behalf of the people was coming to an end. Why? Because the great high priest was here. He was standing right in front of her. Worship is no longer tied to a location, but to Jesus, brothers and sisters. And Jesus is telling the Samaritan woman that, 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 that worship was no longer defined by the, by the temple, or, or which temple the people worshipped at, but ultimately by the condition of their hearts before God. Now this has always been true. That's not new. That temple worship was supposed to be an expression of, of what was going on in their hearts towards God. But, but in the coming of the Messiah, a, a new day had dawned. To where we ceased to, to go to the temple, but those who believe become the temple. That, that phrase, spirit and truth, in verses 23 and 24 is, is first of all, a contrast to the locations that the, that the Samaritan woman mentions. But, but spirit and truth also describes the genuineness of those who truly worship God. Verse 23, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Jews and Samaritans had, had squabbled over locations, but the Father was looking for those who were worship Him based on who He is and how He has revealed Himself in His Word. We're called to worship Him wholeheartedly, not just in worship services, but in how we live. Doing all, as the famous passage says, for the glory of God. Worshiping God in spirit and truth also emphasizes the change that takes place in our inner being. We, we don't simply conform to an external set of rules and expectations as a way to earn God's favor or acceptance. No, we, we do so because we've tasted of the living water of Christ. And as a result, we want to honor Him in all that we do. Obedience isn't the way that we earn the gift of salvation. It's the evidence that we've received it through faith in Christ our Lord. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God wasn't limited to the temple. He's spirit. He's always present. He's everywhere. Now, listen closely to this, please. As a result of the fact of God being always present everywhere, omnipresent, therefore his people should live in a way that reflects that reality. He's here. We are in the presence of God. But when you get home, He's there. Not only that, as you're driving home, he's there. Now, some of you need to hear that. I need to hear that. Tomorrow, when you go to work or to school, he's there. 
And everything that we do, brothers and sisters, will reveal how much we value him. Not only or not primarily simply in our efforts at obedience, but I would say equally so in our dependence upon him to be able to obey him. Can you see the difference from the traditional view of just viewing worship as, as Sunday, we, we, we come here, we get together, you fill up your tank spiritually, and then you go out into the week and live your life until you're empty again, and you come back next Sunday and repeat. That's not in the Bible. This is an aspect of our faith. This is an aspect of our worship that we're called to because, as God tells us in his word, we need each other. Desperately need each other in order to be faithful. We need each other in order to be able to overcome trials. We need each other in order to be able to, 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 to support one another in our times of need and to, and to celebrate the joys of this life together. That's a gift from God. You, you are a gift to one another from God. But worship goes far beyond simply what takes place in these four walls. Far beyond. And we need to recognize that, that our efforts at doing what is right in God's eyes, even when it's difficult, that honors God. Telling the truth when it comes at great cost honors God. And sometimes we need His help for the strength to even do that, don't we? Because temptation is strong and our flesh can be weak. But Lord, if I don't tell the whole truth, a la Samaritan woman then I'm not going to get as much trouble. I won't pay as big a fine. It's tempting. And so we must depend upon God in worship to be able to do those things which glorify Him. One could ask the question, so Sam, if it's not about location, why do we go to church? Now, some have used this passage to try to justify not becoming a part of a local congregation. But we need to be clear on this as believers, in case you've ever been confused. The temple in the Old and New Testament and the church are not the same things. Plain and simple. In fact, now as the church, we have no need for a temple where we go and have someone offer sacrifices to God on behalf of our sins. Why? Jesus took care of that. There's a reason why this altar is not covered with blood. Because the perfect sacrifice shed his blood. Not every year, as they did in the temple, but once and for all to redeem all who respond in faith. The, the church, or excuse me, the temple was where people came to God through the work or the mediation of a high priest who, who offered sacrifices for their sins. But the church, the church represents God coming to us, Emmanuel, God with us. We just celebrated that a week ago. At Easter, we'll, we'll celebrate that he's the sacrifice that keeps us in fellowship with God. And we are commanded as his church to, to worship and serve and do life together for our good and, and to honor him. 
Again, the, the, the worship service is, is only one aspect of our worship, only one aspect of our lives, but it is a vital one. Let's conclude with verses 25 and 26. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, it doesn't get any clearer than that. When Jesus met with Nicodemus, he never said that. But here he is speaking to this sinful woman who, who was seen as an outcast. Someone that the world would look at and say, this person is the least deserving of God's grace and mercy. And even sadly, some in the church might would say that about somebody in that position today. They could not be more wrong. Jesus saying, I am the Messiah, is something that he rarely does for the religious leaders in the Gospels. But here he offers redemption to someone that those same religious leaders would deem unworthy. Think about that. We've moved past the, 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 the living water this, that she didn't understand. We've, we've moved past... The, 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 the pointing out of her sinfulness. We've moved past this question about where they are to worship. And Jesus says, listen, you're talking about somebody coming to explain all things that, that God is doing to you? It just happened, sister. Behold the grace and mercy of our God. Jesus speaks to one who was unacceptable to speak to. Someone who was guilty, but yet he deals gently with her. Patiently bringing her to a knowledge of the truth. And that's exactly what he did in our lives as well. No matter how great the condemnation you felt when you first became aware of your guilt before a holy God. Did you know it was nowhere close to how guilty and bad you should have felt? So even our low points, God is graciously at work drawing us to himself. It's not just a story for a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, but it's, a, it's the picture of how Christ relates to this world in drawing sinners unto himself. We must never cease to be in awe of that gentleness, that grace, and that mercy that he offers. That he offers to, 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 to each one here those who believe you have, you've accepted this gift by faith, praise God. Those who have yet to believe, understand that as bad as it gets, you have, you, you, you have not been treated as your sins deserve. And God is calling you to humble yourself, to admit your guilt before him, 
and to receive the offer of salvation and forgiveness that can only be found through the one who bore God's wrath for your sins so that you wouldn't have to. You receive this living water through faith, through trust, belief that what he says is true and what he offers is real. But some of us, myself included, often fall into the trap that the great reformer Martin Luther fell into 20 years after his conversion or that he struggled with for 20 years following his conversion. For almost 20 years, I, for almost 20 years, and I still feel the old clinging dirt of wanting to make a deal with God so that I may contribute something so that he will have to give me his grace in exchange for my holiness. And I still cannot get into my head that I should surrender myself completely to sheer grace. Now, I've called you all, us all, to, 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 to live each day, each moment as an act of worship before God. And there's that sneaky temptation that seems to work its way in to how we live and think. To think that our efforts are somehow earning us something with God in terms of his favor, his forgiveness, his mercy and love. If it can happen to, to Martin Luther, it can happen to any of us. But we need to, in our efforts to, to worship God wholeheartedly, resist the temptation to try to pay God back for what he has done for us. We simply never could. We believe and we obey because we love him, not to pay him back, not to earn anything from God. This, this trap of seeking to pay God back is the surefire way to keep us from truly worshiping him because what happens? We continue to try to do what is right and what's honoring to God and, and, and what happens? The, the, the people in our lives don't respond the way we think they ought to. I'm being nice to him. I'm showing him grace. I, I sought his forgiveness for, for that thing I said, and, and he threw it all back in my face. That This Christianity thing must not work. Well, if you're basing it simply on how people respond, no, it doesn't work. But, but, but if you can see things as God sees them, in that he is honored in your efforts at doing things in a way that, that are pleasing to him, in spite of how people respond, that's worship. When we recognize that we can come away from a, a tough situation that, that doesn't go our way and that yet we've sought to do in a way that is honoring to God and, and take peace and solace in, in understanding that in God's sight that is enough. When we can get there, then we can persevere, brothers and sisters. So we need to start measuring our efforts at worship in the way that God does. He sees the heart. He is looking for those who worship him in spirit and truth. That's a, a wholehearted worship where we offer all of ourselves to God. And when those efforts lead us to, to have to do hard things, 
we have to take comfort in knowing that God is pleased with our efforts on our end, no matter what the response may be. And that has to be enough. That has to be enough. God is not some codependent God that depends on our, our, our efforts. And if we do just right, then he's going he's gonna to keep his end of the bargain. No, he is always going to do what is best because he is always good. We simply don't have the eyes to see what is best sometimes. But do not let that hinder your worship of this mighty God, brothers and sisters. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the kindness and the gentleness that you showed the, the woman at the well, uh, a woman whose sins were well known to her people, undoubtedly someone whose guilt was evident in her own heart and mind, and yet you showed her mercy. You did not treat her as her sins deserved, even as you pointed those sins out to her. And Lord, as we see, as we will see next week and as we move forward in this passage, uh, Lord, you use her mightily at the spread of your gospel. And so we praise you for that. And I pray, Lord, that we would not be a people who would be quick to look down on others who may be struggling, uh, but, but Lord, we would be those who would seek to point each person that we come in contact with to you, that they would receive the grace and mercy that only you can offer. Lord, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters uh, in the week that lies ahead. Uh, Lord, would you help us in your grace to, to, to think often as to how we can worship you in the circumstances that we face? Lord, I, I think of our, our students who are here in the service this morning who will be going back to school, many of them tomorrow, uh, undoubtedly with uh, varying emotions as it relates to that. Lord, would you help them to see ways in which they can worship you even at school? Uh, and Lord, would you... Uh, be honored by their efforts, we pray. Lord, I thank for others, I pray for others that are, that'll be heading back to work tomorrow to, 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 to engage with, with co-workers that may or may not know you. Lord, I pray that each interaction and each task that they face would, would be an opportunity that they have to, to honor you uh, with their attitudes and with their words and with their efforts. Help us, Lord, to, to, to recognize that, 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 to, Worship you wholeheartedly affects more than simply how loud we sing or how hard we pray. Uh, but Lord, it reaches everything that we do. So help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. Forgive us for our pride when our faith becomes a show. Dress in righteous deeds to hide all the stains below. We have judged your sons and daughters for the sin that is our own. May we now forgive each other and lay down our stones. Forgiven, forgiven, through the blood of Christ we are forgiven. 
forsake the beast above for all the crumbs below though you've made the sons and daughters we do not the world disown may we find our greatest treasure is in you Forgiven, forgiven, through the blood of Christ we are forgiven, 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 through the blood of Christ we are forgiven. be our benediction. May we go forth from this place praising God for the forgiveness that is ours through the blood of Christ. Amen. We are dismissed.